Well, hey, let me, um, if you haven't been already, welcome you to Trinor Church. I believe you have been, but if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're sincerely glad that you're here with us. And I know um, for many of us, we call this place home. And uh, we call it home because not only is this our spiritual family of choice, but it is the place that we gather together to, to worship God, to be equipped, to be trained. And for all of those who are here for the first time, um, we are sincerely glad that you're with us today. Um, we count it a real honor that you're with us. Can we just clap for everyone here that's here for the first time? Come on, really clap. Let them know that you're happy they're here. Um, I, I want to today, for many of you, you've been with us, and uh, we've been in this series or this uh, several teachings called Making Change. Everybody say change. change. Some of you, it, it's crazy. Just, just, uh, just a bit of a, a truth that this concept of making change is one of, of, of this idea of making change is one of process. It, it, it is something that you will be saying until you stand in the presence of God where you'll come into church, you'll, you'll come before someone, you're like, man, I need to make some changes somewhere. And can I tell you that that mindset is a teachable one. It's, a, it's one that will actually help us grow and ref, reflect Christ in all that we do. If we can come to God's house, some of you, and I don't, I don't know why you think you come. I, I can't answer the why. You should know the why of why you're here in God's house. But the truth is that we gather together to be equipped to be trained, to, to live according to the Word of God. And the Bible says that we, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what that means? That some of you, the way that you think, it needs to change. It needs to change. And when we gather together, that's what we believe and we anticipate and we hope for that God will change us. Can you say amen? And uh, today I wanted to talk, uh, I had a, th a few things I wanted to share with you. I really felt impressed to, to speak on this. And, and it's the principle of first, the principle of first. Now, before you, you run to a conclusion about what I'm going to speak about, I need to just tell you the power of this message for me personally. I'm being raised in the church and being exposed to a lot of religious activities and traditions and being raised by amazing parents who honor God faithfully to this day and love the Lord, um, I can tell you that this is, this is the most powerful teaching that, that I've come to understand about God. This has changed the way that I see money. It's changed the way that I see people. It's changed the way that I see the bride of Christ, which is the church. It's changed the way that I actually treat my, my, my wife, my family. It changes the way that I see God. And how many of you know that if, you ch if, if, if God gives you a revelation, re revelation, re vela, means to reveal or to remove the veil. If you remove something, you can see it more clearly. God, God reveals himself to humanity, and when we see him for who he really is, things change. See, religion says that you got to modify your behavior and then God will receive you. The Bible says that God comes to you where you are, receives you where you are, and when you receive the power of God, it's the power of God that begins to change you from the inside out. <laughs> it's a different process. This principle of first is, is one that has... I don't know if I can properly articulate the significance of this principle in my life. But I remember earlier on learning about this idea of tithing. For many of you, you've been in church for quite some time. And just as Pastor Brian eloquently shared with you this morning about receiving the tithes and the offerings, some of you are like, I have no idea what that is. 
but I think it's, they're passing a bucket, so they, they need something. The actual process of receiving tithes and offerings is not a demonstration of need by the church. It's a demonstration of principle and honoring God with the first. This was never really taught to me as a young believer. I didn't understand it. I was left to navigate this topic of finances kind of on my own with the clarity that came through conversation with my parents. But I need to tell you that the Bible says that all of us are to bring the 10, 10% of our increase to the local church, the bride of Christ, that it's sacred to God, and we're to bring it to the house. I remember learning that earlier on, thinking, oh, here we go. The church is, just wants my money, you know what I mean? And, and I remember in those challenging seasons, for me, searching after God. Now, I love the fact that in this house, we love it when people ask questions. I love it if you ask questions, because I truly believe in Matthew 6.33 that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. And, and some of us, we actually fearfully tread to pursue truth, because we think that once we find it, we're going to have to change and do things that we don't want to do. That is a lie. The truth is, is that when, when you walk in accordance to God's ways, truth is actually the freedom. It, it, it's actually what brings freedom into your life. So once you receive it and you understand it and you begin to walk in it, you begin to experience freedom. Now, I, I remember when I heard this principle, I tried to, um, I was the best defense attorney to things that I didn't want to do. And I don't know if you're like this with yourself. But if you're like, hey, you should do this. And you're like, nah, no, no, no thanks. You know, I, mean? I could convince myself of anything. And being told about the principle of the tithe early on, I would be like, hold on. I, I mean, this was my first excuse. It's like, I'm in high school. I'm in college. I, I don't even have a real job. Like, I don't even get a paycheck. I get, like, just cash in an envelope. And I mean, I, what am I? I don't have a, how can, how can I tithe and I don't have a consistent income? I remember making that argument with God. For the first few months, it sufficed for me. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't good enough. So I had to find another defense. And I remember, I'm not, I'm not playing with you. This is exactly how I logically tried to defend my actions before God. And then I went to the position, I'm like, okay, I, you know what, I, I, don't, I, don't I don't really understand all of this tithing. I mean, I don't even really know how to spell it, let alone do it. I don't even know what it is. Is tithing bring 10%? Is it before taxes, after taxes? How much do I give? Do I bring in an envelope? Do I put it on the altar? Do I, I don't know what to do with it. And I remember convincing myself, God, I just, I need to study more, but God, I don't have time to learn about this. So you're, God, you just understand. So I'll just, I will get around to it. But for now, God, let's just, let's we got a thing. So it's just like, it's all good. That worked for another few weeks. And then I finally came to the place. I'm like, no, nah, that's not good enough. And I said, hold on. It says in scripture that if we bring the first to God, God will bless the rest in a supernatural way. And I remember saying to myself, reading in scripture that there's only two things that could happen with the tithe. It says in Malachi 3.10, some of you get angry at me for saying this. It's not me, it's God, okay? So some of you are like, I can't believe he said that. It's not me, it's God. Malachi 3.10, it says this, that if you don't bring the tithe to the house of God, there's only one of two options with the tithe. You either, either bring it to God, and interestingly enough, the, the language here is very important. It doesn't say give to God because you can't give something that's not yours. You try that? I have little kids now, they're like, Dad, can I have some money? I give them money. They're like, hey, Dad, I'm going to give you this money. I'm like, no, you can't give me something that's mine, okay? I gave you that. The tithe is returning to God what is already his, and there's a powerful principle in that. So I remember, I, I remember saying, okay, if, if we bring the tithe to the house, God blesses supernaturally the rest. There's a covering of blessing on our life. 
And I made up this, this logic, well, it wasn't very logical, but I made up this reasoning to say, well, I, I got it, I'm covered. And my, my reasoning was my parents are faithful to God in tithing. And at the time, I lived in their house. So I'm like, this is great. They are honoring God with their first roots, and I live in their house, so therefore, I'm covered under their blessing. And that lasted for a while. I was like, no, this is good. This is good. Like, I'm dwelling in the house of the righteous. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm, I'm, being, I'm being blessed by God. And, and I didn't realize the significance of it. Now, hold on for, for a moment. The reason this, this, this principle is so profound to me is because actually the understanding of the tithe comes out of the principle first. So when you hear the principle of first, most of you, if you've been in church, you're like, oh, it's about the tithe. Actually, the principle of first is explained through the understanding of tithes. But many of you don't even realize that you are, you are partaking in honoring God in the first by being here on a Sunday morning. The first place that you gather together at the beginning of each, each week to bring God your first. The beginning of your week, it doesn't end on Sunday. Your week actually begins on Sunday. And for those that are found in the house of God, you're saying, God, I give you my first at the beginning of each week. Let me help you in, in worship. The Bible also says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Do you know what that means? It means that the presence of God fills the environment in which people honor and worship God. But the only reason the scripture says that is because we rightfully see God for who he is. And when we do that, we say, God, you are first. Therefore, we worship. And we lift our hands and our voices and we honor God. We say, God, we thank you for who you are. It is in that act that God inhabits the praises of his people. Do you know why he does that? It's because it's in our, under, it's in our acknowledgement and in our behavior that we're saying, God, you're first. You're first. Some of us, listen, and I want to be really honorable in this and how I explain it to you, but I remember early on I was raised in the Pentecostal environment, and, and I still believe in the, in the gifts of the Spirit and, and how they are operating in the, in the body of Christ and believe they're fully operational in the body of Christ. I just believe that the methodology is not attached to the power, and I believe they can be demonstrated in a very way that's super but yet very natural where people can receive it. But I was in an environment where, like, I couldn't even invite friends because I didn't know what was going to happen that Sunday if, if sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so was going to do a backflip and start spinning and running to the wall. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. And, and, and the truth was is that I took me, it took me five years to get a friend that I loved in the house of God. And it took five seconds for someone to destroy his experience in the house of God and for him never to come back. And I remember studying Paul's clear instructions on how the gifts of the Spirit were to be operated and to be used in the body of Christ. And you know what I've learned? I've learned from most of us, we operate in, in a way that makes us feel comfortable. We operate in a way that we're, we're, we're familiar with. But the new thing, the interesting thing about God is God, God constantly moves us. He constantly draws us closer to himself. And in drawing us closer to himself, he clarifies things. He reveals things to us. And we start to realize it's not really about me. It's all about him. And I remember in those environments as people used to worship and go crazy. I remember he used to sit there like, like this. His brother was like, oh man, these people are crazy. You know what I mean? Look at them. Look at them. They're going crazy. They're going crazy. Look at that one. That one's like spinning. You know, that one's like, you know, and I remember it used to go nuts. And the truth was, is many people used to worship to bring attention to themselves. But there were people who worshiped in spirit and in truth solely to give praises to God. And can I tell you, it's in the act of worship on a Sunday morning that you know what you're doing during the time of worship? You're not observing the people that are up here. You're not watching the screens. 
well, you are, but you're not watching the screens as the, by, as, the, as the purpose of why you're here. We gather together to worship God. This is what we're doing. God, you're first. God, you're first. God, I care more about letting you know that you're first in my life than I do about the people around me and what they think of me lifting my hands. That's what it means to worship. For the longest time, I didn't want to lift my hands because I was so worried about people next to me. You know, for many of us, we live a life trying to appease people and impress people that do nothing for us. And the one who has paid the ultimate price to us, we live in fear of acknowledging who he is. Worship is an acknowledgement of his supremacy in our life. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful principle to understand. For many of us, maybe you've been in church and you, can, you attempted, like I did, to theologically do away with this principle of first. And I remember looking at it saying, oh, it's an Old Testament law. Then I'm like, oh, there's a problem. It preceded the law. And then it continued after the law. And I was like, maybe Jesus never said it. And then I went to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, and Jesus talks about the tithe and how we're not to forsake, you know, bringing the tithe in the house. And there's other things that we should not neglect, justice and mercy and grace and all of these things. I'm like, oh no, this principle goes from Genesis to Revelation. Why is it so significant? It's because it's the principle of first. And I want to begin by reading in Genesis, Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, not Genesis, let's move, let's move forward a bit in Exodus, Exodus chapter 13, verse 1. You still with me? Hey, listen, this is so important, and, and I'll explain to you why. The Bible talks about our lives, how they're to be built upon things, built upon things. Each one of you have, have an area in your life right now that you are, you are skilled at, you are good at, you are taught and trained and gifted and talented in. Whatever that field is, whatever the sport, the uh, profession, the calling, whatever you're in now, and think about where you are at the stage of that, that season of life now. You got there by building upon principle after principle, precept upon precept, and it began at at an elementary level, but it began to build upon itself. Now imagine if someone came to you in the season you're in and said, hey, I want to do what you do. And you started talking to them without laying the foundational truths that they can build things upon. The Bible talks about that. It says that we should be a wise person and not a foolish person. That we should build our lives upon the rock, which are principles within the word of God. My daughter Harper, when she was really young, used to stack blocks. And she was actually quite good at it. Uh, Like, I mean, like, weird good. Like, barely could walk but laying on her belly and like just stacking blocks to where she would pull herself up and continue to stack them higher than she was able to, almost to the height to which she could reach. Like this is like strange, but she was so cautious in the way that she would do it. And I was like, this girl got fine motor skills right here. She's gonna be like an athlete. And, but I remember that it was fascinating to me one time we were playing and, and she had stacked two of them. And, and I remember just taking one of the early ones that she had placed and I remember moving it like just sliding it off a little bit. And I remember her looking at me like, what what are you doing? And then she slid it back. She couldn't even talk. But she had learned through the process of building this, this life that things need to be in order. If they're not in order, they're gonna fall. Some of you just need to hear that you're building your life and things are out of order and it will fall. It is the byproduct of not building a life on the things that are found in the word of God. And I'm astounded by this because I've, I've come across many Christians and they're like, I can't believe it. The devil's after me again. 
I can believe it. This happened and this happened and this happened. Look what he's doing. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, that's not the enemy. That's the byproduct of not living according to the word of God. If your life is not in order, nothing else will be in, 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 in if your life does not place God first, nothing else will be in order. If Christ is not first, nothing else will be in order. Now, I'm not saying if you place Christ first, that everything in your life will be easy. We know that's not true because Jesus said to us in Scripture that in this life you will have trouble. But take heart, why? For I have overcome the world. But we know that order is important for us, and tithing and understanding the principle of first will help us live a life placing God at the beginning. Are you with me? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I'm going to read two verses to you, and I need to just give a little public service announcement before I do this, okay? Some of you, you're going to hear me read this, and you're going to be like, and you're just going to be like, I'm, I'm, I don't get it. He just lost me. I want you just to stay with me. Just promise me I, ha- I have um, ADD, OCD, and all the other acronyms after my name, but I can focus for about four minutes. Uh, I think my son's almost at three minutes he can focus. So just give me three of your best minutes, okay? Can you do that? Just someone just nod, and I'll move forward. Okay, someone in the back in the white just nodded. I'll, I'll go. Exodus chapter 13, verse 1 through 2. This is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of everyone among the Israelites belongs to me. I want you to repeat that real quick. Say that. Belongs to me whether human or animal. So this is what I need you to get from that verse. God is making not a suggestion to the people of God. He's not making a recommendation. He is making a declaration to say that the first belongs to me. It's not a suggestion. It's not a dialogue. It is me informing you of the principle of first. The first belongs to me. And you can, you can have whatever opinion you want about it, but the first belongs to me. Listen to how it continues in verse 13. It says, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck, redeem every firstborn among your sons. Makes complete sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Listen, I want to explain to you the principle from those two verses that begins in Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. I want to explain to you. The first is this. God declares to all people that the first belong to me. And you can see that going through the entire Old Testament, the way that he dealt with the people, even under the New Covenant, about how the first belonged to God. And you can see it very clearly here. Here in the second verse, in verse 13 that we just read, we see that he's given a demonstration of two things. That the first of what we have must be sacrificed or redeemed. It must be sacrificed or redeemed. Let me explain it to you this way. He's given a reference of a lamb and a donkey. The lamb is clean. The donkey is unclean. And he's saying the first of what you have must be sacrificed or redeemed. Okay? This is what he's saying. The first must die or you must give something in place of the first so that it can be redeemed. Redeemed simply means to be purchased back, to be bought back. Let me say it to make it an applicable um, thing for you to understand in your life. This, this teaching I've probably listened to a thousand times from Pastor uh, Robert Mars. He has been a mentor of mine over a decade. I've read every book that he's written, listened to every message, not everyone, but I've listened to a lot. And this principle has helped shape the way that I see God. I want you to get this and I want you to understand it so, so passionately because I know that it'll radically change the way that you view Jesus and how you'll live for him. When you were born, were you born clean or unclean? 
I'm not talking about the actual, like, was there blood everywhere. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you spiritually, when you were born, were you born clean or unclean? Unclean, right? And if you don't have kids, you can find out. Like, you don't need to teach them to disobey. Like, it's just innate. You know what I mean? And they just start doing things where they want. Like, it's just natural. We were born unclean. Now, let me ask you this. Was Jesus born clean or unclean? Clean. We were born unclean. Jesus was born clean. The clean must be sacrificed so that, so that the unclean can be redeemed. Some of you are already getting there. Jesus, hear me now, Jesus was God's tithe. Jesus was God's tithe. Jesus came clean to be redeemed for that which was unclean. God gave his second son, his first, his best, his one and only son, his one. He gave his best, what? In, in his perfection to redeem, to purchase back that which was unclean, humanity. God displays this principle in Exodus to say this is an operation of first. And this principle of first goes all the way through the New Testament. And this is expressed in in every attribute of how we honor God, so many people get caught in the principle of first as an issue of monetary means. It's not. It's in everything. It's in every expression. That's why God, even in the areas of our sexuality, tells us to remain pure before we are wed. Why? Because it's in the understanding that I am devoted to you and to you alone. You are my first. And when I say yes to you, I say no, I say no to everyone else and vice versa. Do you understand that? It's the principle of first. God establishes it through everything. Now, some of you are saying, oh, man, I, didn't, I haven't been honoring God my first. The truth is, is Israel wasn't honoring God with their first either. And God says in the Scriptures, he says, you're robbing from me. They said, how, how, how are we robbing from you? He says, you're not bringing what belongs to me to the house of God. You're robbing me in tithes and offerings. Now, some of you need to understand that the, the tithe is powerful. This is why it's so powerful, because it's you displaying to God that, God, I believe that everything I have comes from you. Everything I have comes for you. I believe that with all my heart. So when I bring my tithe, I'm acknowledging who you are in my life. The principle of first is significant because it actually displays and greater illustrates the attributes of God. In in seminary, you'll take a course, systematic theology, and they'll teach you different things about the nature of God, the nature of God, the character of God, the attributes of God. And it's in that class I realized that I needed to buy a theological dictionary because I had no idea what anyone was talking about for the first three weeks of class. And, and I remember hearing them say certain things like, God cannot. I'm thinking, like, that's weird. I, didn't, I, I thought there's nothing impossible for God. How can, how, can, how can there be a cannot in the same sentence as God? And then I start to learn about the attributes of God. And in the attributes of God, you learn some things that are quite fascinating. For example, God cannot change. It is a theological term called the immutability of God. God is unchanging. It means that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, the precept of the understanding about God, God being able to change would suggest that God can be better than he already is. But he cannot be better than he already is because he's already perfect in his essence and in his being. So it is described as the immutability of God. Hmm. The omniscience of God. 
the omnipotence of God, the all-knowing nature of God, the all-power of God, knowing the attributes of God is a significant thing. Here's one. It's called the preeminence of God. Pre meaning before, eminence meaning superiority or power. He is before all people, before all gods, before all things. He is first. You ever meet someone who thought they were like the best at everything? Though they thought they were the best, they really weren't, and you, you took it upon yourself to tell you you're not that good, you know what I mean? Like I'm better than you, or someone else is. The truth is, is with God, he is first. And one of the most fascinating things about walking with God is that he doesn't shove his nature in your face he slowly, in his patience and kindness, reveals who he is to you. And it's in our understanding and through his revelation to humanity that we realize who we are in light of who he is. I'm telling you, when you realize who he is in your life, the way you live changes. And tithing is a demonstration, a faith demonstration. Do you know that, that Jesus was God's tithe in a demonstration of faith? The Bible says that God gave Jesus by faith. It says in Romans that, that, that God demonstrated his love towards us. That while we were still perfect, no, 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 while we were still sinners, God gave Jesus. Do you know why that's so fascinating? Because God didn't wait until we fixed ourselves. He sent his son, the clean, to redeem that which was unclean, even before we acknowledged who he was in our life. So you are saying this, this idea of first. If you talk to a farmer, there's many farmers in our church, and they'll, un, they'll explain to you that there's no guarantees in receiving a harvest. There's a lot of hope attached to it. If you were like Abel and you had flocks, and you had your first harvest or you had your firstborn lamb, God says that belongs to me. But for many of us, we would say to God, yeah, but God, I don't have any others. That's all I got. That's all I got. How can I bring you all that I have? If I give you my first, I'm not guaranteed there's anything, anything left. God, I can't do that. That's the point of tithing. It is a demonstration of saying, God, I trust that if you gave me one, you're going to give me more. And I'm acknowledging that what I have in the one has come from you anyway. That's why the principle of earth and even tithing is a faith-filled thing. Can I tell you, it's more than money. It is allegiance to say, God, I'm with you. I'm here to advance the kingdom of God, and I'm here to be part of the bride of Christ and the redemption of the world. There's something significant in that, the preeminence of God. Do you remember the story in um, the beginning of the Word of God, talking about Cain and Abel? You guys remember the Cain and Abel story? Um, some of you do. It's the first um, murder we see in Scripture. Um, this is a highlight in the Old Testament, and... Um, and uh, it's a within family. It's the first serious response or description of domestic violence. Um, and at the beginning of the story, we, we see that each one of them was gifted differently. And that Cain was a tiller of the field, it said. That he had fruits and vegetables that he would plant and harvest each year. And Cain, he had flocks. Or Abel, he had flocks. And he had sheep that he would bring to sacrifice and give to God. Now, I always found it fascinating because in the two of them, you, you see that they had unique giftings, but they both yielded something as an increase of what they sowed. Another principle of the Word of God is that you will reap what you sow. It's a principles within Scripture, and we see that they, they planted things, and then they were in a season of harvest, their season of increase. And interestingly enough, 
it says that when Cain brought what he had to offer before God, God says, I cannot receive it. He's saying like, oh man, he's got something against Cain. He must not like his name, you know what I mean? Or something silly. And it said, then Abel brought his first and God received it. But then if you read the text very carefully, you'll understand that Cain was in violation of this principle first. It said of Cain that over the course of time, he brought something to God. Do you know what it's, it explains? That Cain brought what was left over for God. He didn't bring the first. Now, I need to teach you this for a moment. This is, remember we were talking about the preeminence of God as an attribute? Um, this is pretty cool. Um, he cannot be second, even if you place him there. He can't be. He's waiting for you to figure out who he really is and that he will never be second. And he can't sit there second. That's why his love for you is too difficult to articulate from a platform or in a language that we can comprehend because he pursues you because he loves us so dearly. It's hard to fathom. But though we place him second in areas of our life and we try to fit God in to my career and my calling and my family and oh, oh God, and here you are. It says over a course of time, Cain brought something to God and God says, I cannot receive it. He can't receive what's second best because of his understanding of his preeminence and the principle first. I, I want you to understand that this concept of the principle of first is so powerful in our lives that it causes us to relook at everything we do. Everything we do. I remember in prayer one time I was sitting down saying, you know what, God, I, I think I need to place you first in this area. God, I need to place you first in that area. Hey, God, I think I, I need to do better at placing you first. And I wasn't even realizing that I was telling someone who is already first. It's just a fascinating thing that God doesn't need the, your permission to be first. He already is. And in that place, I had the moment of just revelation just to say, all this time, you've been first in my life. You've redeemed me. You've purchased me back, and I, I stand in a righteousness that I didn't earn, that I could never work for. I need some of you to hear me. Bringing the tithe to God's house does not earn salvation. That's not what it is. None of us could receive the righteousness that we stand in before, before God. We stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why is it so profound? Because he is sinless, and it's in his holiness and in his perfection that he has purchased us back. That's why there's there's this understanding of the power of the blood of Jesus. That which was clean was sacrificed so that that which was unclean could be redeemed. I wanna pray for some of you today before we close. Because I know many of us are familiar with religion and we're familiar with what to do and what not to do. Can I tell you what my heart really is? It's not to tell you what to do. One of the greatest things about serving God is he gives us free will. You know what that means? You choose. Bible says he places before you life and death. You choose. 
God doesn't force you to do anything. He doesn't make you do anything. That's the understanding of receiving his love. You choose. And at the end of every one of our services, across the two locations, and even on Wednesday nights through youth, we always give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to receive what Christ did on our behalf. And I know what happens when we do this at the end of service. People are always aware of the things that are unclean in their life. Man, I missed the mark here. I missed the mark here. And you know what we do innately? This is what we tell ourselves. Let me fix it first, and then when I come back, I'll be ready to receive. Can I tell you something? You cannot fix yourself enough to stand in the presence of God. You can't because it would be about your works. And it's not about your works. It's about his work, his finished work on the cross. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, something transactionally happens in the spiritual realm. It is in our acknowledgement of who he is. The Bible says in Romans 10 verse 9 that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. How am I saved? It's by confessing who he is in my life. When we confess who he is, you know what we're doing? This is what we're saying. God, I know that you're my savior. I know that you're my redeemer. I know that you're my provider. And God, in this moment, I'm asking for, to receive the salvation that you offer me, though I don't deserve it, though, though I've done nothing to, to earn it, to, to work for it, and I could in any way, God, you freely give it, and I freely receive it. That's how we receive salvation. I want to pray for some of you today. you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you, and I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, that you will be saved. And Salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian, Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody, whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you. Find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.